a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. And the problem that God has with that is that he didn't command it or institute it. He, he, he only wants images that he commands and institutes to be made. And when he makes himself, when, when the scripture says that Jesus is the very image of God, then he has made an image of himself for us, Jesus. And if we were to not have pictures of Jesus, then we would be breaking the second commandment. But now all this rests upon this moment and that you must do the right thing in order to reap the benefits of this. If you're going to be forgiven, if you're going to be atoned for, if you're going to get the imputed righteousness of God, you must then do this. And and this is what's so terrible about what we call decision theology is that it, it takes everything away of the gospel and puts it all back on the law. I mean, this is a stop-the-press sort of thing to see God, you know? Wow! That's amazing! Stop the song! Tell us about that! That's great! Welcome to another edition of... <clears throat> Welcome to another edition of Table Talk Radio. Frog in the Throat Radio. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. That's just fantastic. Uh, Your the, voice box has got a kangaroo in it. I was going to say... Like a kangaroo in a box. <laughs> That's a nice. That's a nice little Australian colloquialism for all of our Australian listeners. I don't know if they say that in New Zealand, but everyone in New Zealand quit listening. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, or one listener. For um, sure. I was gonna say that the Lutheran theological game show where Pastor Wolf Miller almost never become comes unhinged about praise songs. That's a nice quick <laughs> tagline, don't you think? Oh. Almost never. Yeah, it's like, let me read this uh, speech from George Washington as our tagline. <laughs> Is it going to get to the point or what? That's what you said about that liner that we have about... Um, an hour and a half. <laughs> that's what you said about that liner that we have about um, there's more rejoicing in, in uh, Colorado and Oregon <laughs> for one listener than the 99,000 listening in the issues, etc. Yeah. <laughs> And you're like, man, that took forever to get to the point. <laughs> I know. Look, if you can't express your opinion in 20 seconds or less, we are, we are. I'm an- not listening. We are anti-Twitter theology here at Table Talk Radio. We are anti-attention span. <laughs> okay, Aren't well, we the radio show. We're the radio show for people who grew up on Sesame Street. <clears throat> that's true. Uh, Big Bird's coming in later. Okay. What do we got today? Uh, what do we got cooking? Let's see. We're gonna, is uh, this our 200th show? It should be some sort of fiesta. Yeah. Some sort of celebration. Instead, yeah. it's just as bad as always. Yeah. I hope you weren't looking for an improvement on 200, 200th show. Uh, yeah. It's all the same. When we get to about 200,000, we might start to doubt it. You might way. see a slight increase in, in the radio um programming but not till then I, w- I wouldn't i wouldn't hold your breath so uh okay so for today after we uh do some buzzwords and some emails um we are going to uh play who wants to be a theologian do you remember that game we, i do we used to I play do. that I once, be a theologian. Once, once once in a while and then uh we're also going to play the reason why the reason letter? why we stopped playing that i don't know if you were able to identify the reason that you got us stopped playing that was because you quit going to the seminary, and so you stopped reading theology. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I mostly pick up the practical mm-hmm. books now. <laughs> right. You know, uh, you know, 
dealing with with problem co-hosts. Um, well, uh, you know, books like that. You know, more on the practical side. Antagonists in your radio ministry. <laughs> yeah, things like that. <laughs> when I got when I go to Dane, someone gave me this book. I got it right here. Antagonists in the Church: How to Identify and Deal with Destructive Conflict. Yeah. I never, I never read this book because I figured it was me. It was again written again. I yeah, was yeah, the person gave it to you because hey, you should read this because yeah. <laughs> how to identify yourself. Page, page one: Give this book to the person who is the antagonist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Oops. give me your. Yeah, good thing I never read it. Give me your buzzword. My buzzword is conscience. Conscience mm. comes from the Bible. The goal of this commandment, says Paul to Timothy, is a good conscience that comes from a sincere faith and wait from a true faith and sincere love. Uh, that's uh, I think that's First Timothy chapter one, something like that. Now the conscience is uh, we got a couple of different pictures of the conscience. The one I think the easiest one is the as since we're in baseball season is the home plate umpire, who sits there and calls balls and strikes. So the pitch comes in, ball, strike, you know, and then that's so we do something, think something, say something, and our conscience is saying. Good or bad each time. Now, the reason why this illustration is helpful is because the home plate umpire doesn't always get it right. So what? you throw a ball and he's a strike, etc. But so our and this is the point that we need to know about our conscience. It doesn't always get it right. Our conscience doesn't is not always does not always make the right judgment. So it has to be trained by the Lord's word, shaped by the Ten Commandments, so that it can make the right call. Uh, that's all. Conscience. Did you know that uh, the other illustration of the conscience, which is more complex, is the courtroom? So there's God making the judgment. There's your works that are in the dock. Um, you know, the devil stands there. You have your, your accuser and your advocate. And, but that's a little that's a little bit complex. Yeah. Uh, my theological buzz phrase for you comes from Latin. It's ex nihilo, and uh, this means out of nothing, so that God creates out of nothing. Um, it, it's like that joke. If you hear this joke, I'll use. I'll probably mess it up, but uh, it goes something like how the uh, the scientist goes up to God and says, "God, we don't need you anymore. We we figured out a way to to create life from dirt, um, just like you did. So so we don't we don't need you anymore." And God says, "All right, let's see you do it." So the scientist reaches down and gr- grabs a, a handful of dirt to make life out of, and God says, "No, no, no, get your own dirt." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good old classic. Yeah. I think I'll explain why that's funny in the Wolfmuller uh, <laughs> School of Comedy. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'll probably mess it up because I'm not enrolled in the Wolfmuller School of, School of Hilarity. <laughs> that's a better name for it. Uh, let me write that down. <laughs> did, you didn't copyright, did you? Wolfmuller. C- CPH did. <laughs> School. I love CPH. Of uh, Hilarity. Now... I don't know what the tuition is going to be. That's remember that's where every joke the, the tag oh yeah, I got a subtitle now. The Wolfmuller School of Hilarity where every joke is explained. <laughs> oh, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> that's what that's what we need. That's good. I'm going to put that on a bumper sticker. Where every <laughs> Okay, continue. I got to write this down. I don't oh, want to forget it. By the way, so... I think ex nihilo also supra- uh, defines uh, my show prep. <laughs> yeah, out of nothing. Yeah, that's right. But the idea is that when uh, when God spoke things into existence, he did so out of nothing. He did not take pre-existing material and form it into his creation. Uh, creation did not exist 
For example, light did not exist, and then God said, let there be light, and then light existed. So he created ex nihilo out of nothing. Nice. <clears throat> All right, uh, let's go to the voicemail. If you have a, a comment or question for us, send us uh, a voicemail by calling 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-7652, or you can always email us by sending us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. Hi, this is Ian. I was wondering your thoughts on, in youth ministry, the use of giving challenges each week compared to the preaching of the gospel. Thanks. Bye. All right. So what do you think uh, in, in dealing with the, with our, our church's youth uh, issuing challenges? It, I, I think I think what he means when he when he says in in comparison to the gospel is is this something would this be too too law driven to to issue challenges to our youth is this going to be kind of a law driven uh, style of teaching? Yeah. Now I think the first thing to answer this. Thank you, Ian. By the way, for the question. The first thing to answer is uh, is to say um, we we shouldn't the things that we preach and teach to the youth should not be different than the things we preach and teach to adults. Uh, so it's not like uh, youth need more law while adults need more gospel or vice versa. I mean, we, when we, uh, they all need the same, which is both law and gospel. Now, if you have a, a challenge, um, in other words, if you hold someone and you say, hey, here is your vocation, now uh, live it, uh, that, that's fine. That's what the law does, both for adults and for, and for, uh, and for youth. Uh, and, and in fact, I do think that the law continues to challenge and push us. And, and that is, you know, we have this thing where the law, we say the law always accuses, but we, um, uh, but it doesn't only accuse. It also, I mean, it has this kind of, uh, you, there's this danger of, of hearing the law and saying, well, I know it condemns me. I know it means I'm a sinner. But the problem is it can't condemn you in, unless you actually try to keep it. I mean, yeah. You see, you see what that means. In other words, if if you someone comes along and says, "Hey, uh, you you shouldn't murder," and you just, "Oh, I'm a murderer," I mean, yeah, and you never actually go out and try to care for your neighbor and his body to see what a actual wretched sinner you are by trying to keep the law, then it's not really having the same effect. So contrition comes from our attempting to keep the law and failing to do it. So this challenge to say, "Hey, you know, go and read your Bible every day." Both to youth and to adults is an important part of preaching and and ministry. I got this, Evan. What you were laughing when you showed me this email because I'm working on this thing called the devotional challenge book, where which is hopefully be like a a six month book that each week has a different challenge. You know, today's this week's challenge is to is to read the Psalms in your prayers. Next week's challenge is to um, look for law and gospel as you read the text. So it's a devotional book with different challenges for each week that's that's going to try to teach you different skills in, in prayer and reading the scriptures. Um, so, so, I mean, I, I, I like this. But always the gospel has to predominate. That That is that as we as we as we are challenged and as we fail, then we then we're faced up with the wrath of God, uh, which only finds its end in the cross of Jesus. So if you if you have a youth ministry where you're just given challenges and never given Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, it's not ministry. It's something else. It's youth coaching or youth challenging <laughs> something. It's not ministry. Right. And I, and I think maybe this is uh, sort of a reaction to what we see in our uh, with with our evangelical friends, um, with this very law driven kind of ministry. Um, so that. Uh, we, we want to almost overcorrect and have no kind of law whatsoever. 
Um, but no, as, as you rightly said, that the law has its proper place. So we need to hit a commercial break, and then after that, we're going to be coming back playing Who Wants to Be a Theologian with Pastor Wolfner in the hot seat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I have a challenge for the brave nights of my crew. He has a challenge, and we are just a story. I have a challenge. It could be long or short, but we sell us your challenge. There isn't a way in the English language to indicate we are using the singular you. But thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. And we're back on Table Talk Radio playing the game Who Wants to Be a Theologian? And uh, I Pastor do, I Wolf do. Is on the hot seat. Now, uh, you... <laughs> You come in at the you know the the bottom you know you you come in with nothing in your hand. Oh yeah, I remember so, the levels on this game. <laughs> so the first level you start as a synodical bureaucrat. <laughs> yeah, and I've you, arrived already. And you hope to I'm going to miss all purpose. You hope to go up <laughs> from there. <laughs> Ooh man, my mouth is drooling by the way cuz tonight 9 o'clock, I get on an airplane I go to St. Louis for 2 days of feasting. I mean meetings. <laughs> It's hard to tell the difference between the two, really. I had tasted, <laughs> this is true now, I tasted veal for the first time in St. Louis on one of these things. Veal. Are you kidding me? What is this, a baby cow? That's terrible. <laughs> We're going to eat baby cows? What's my other option? I'll have the veal, please. You guys are you guys are, I mean, are using our synodical dollars frugally, I see. Apparently. It's in place of a salary. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, what are you working for? This is this is. I mean, I I don't. You know, all this kind of time and everything. I mean, it's you know, you volunteer gladly to serve the church at large, etc. You know, glad to do it, glad to do it. But uh, you know, it does take a little bit of effort. So they do say. Here's, do you here's do, you some do baby, it though a piece for the baby cow to make up for? <laughs> yeah, it. I was gonna say. Do you do it for the perks though, like eating baby cow? Oh yeah, of course, man. <laughs> if there were no. <laughs> I'm all for paying off politicians because you don't want some schlub in there doing it for the good of his heart. It probably means he can't do anything else. <laughs> all right. Well, I think uh, your lifelines, let's see what, the, what they were. Um, oh, wait. Uh, so I start out as a synodical bu- bureaucrat and then go up from there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you'll graduate from, from synodical bureaucrat. What's next, though? <clears throat> you'll find I out. I want to know what I'm graduating to. You'll, you'll find out. You, it, it, it's oh, it's oh. a position you would aspire to from synodical bureaucrat. Don't worry. Uh, so let's see. You can. Let's, what were the, what were your lifelines? You could uh, phone your wife, um, ask oh, yeah. ask a seminarian. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you used to have sure. call your district president. I'm not sure if he's available. Oh yeah, I remember that one too. That was <laughs> so we'll have to. I think I'm on my own on this one. <laughs> though, no one's no one's waiting by the phone uh, on either of those. Huh? Okay. All right. Well, uh, here's your first question. <clears throat> From which document of the Book of Concord is the following quotation found? And here's the here's the quotation. You should say, my prayer is as precious, holy, and pleasing to God as that of St. Paul or the most holy saints. This is the reason I will gladly grant that Paul is personally more holy, but that's not because of the commandment. God does not consider prayer because of the person, but because of his word and obedience to it. For I rest my prayer on the same commandment on which all the saints rest their prayer. 
Furthermore, I pray for all I, I pray for the same thing that they all pray for and always have prayed. Besides, I have just as great a need of what I pray for as those great saints know even a greater one than they. <clears throat> so, did that come from A, the small cult articles, B, the large catechism, C, the formula of Concord, or D, the appendix? <laughs> did you have your appendix removed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the Wolfmuller School of Hilarity, I'll explain that joke. Now, uh, the answer is, this is beautiful. There's very few places, in fact, in the Book of Concord that talks about prayer, but there's a few of them, uh, including um, the Augsburg Confession Apology, which talks about especially the issue of prayer to the saints and what the Mass is. But uh, it's especially in the catechisms that Luther takes up the prayer, uh, especially the Lord's Prayer, and teaches prayer. And then in his introduction to the, large, to the Lord's Prayer, uh, in the large catechism, he talks about the four things that drive us to prayer. The command to pray, second commandment, pray, praise, and give thanks. The promise of prayer that the Lord hears us. Um, our need for prayer, that we have such great need. And then finally, that Jesus gives us the very words to say and the comfort that comes from knowing that this prayer is pleasing to God. So those four things. Now, the amazing thing is when he takes up the command to pray, which is what the quotation that you gave had to do with, Luther, in, in classic and beautiful Lutheran style, talks about how the command gives us comfort. <laughs> hmm. I mean, the, the, look, the Lord receives and hears my prayers because he, he wants me to pray. I'd never go. Have you seen the movie The King and I? Remember? That's where I got that line, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah, I do. You remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and the king walks into the room, and everyone has to bow down and put their face to the ground. You can't look at the king. I mean, this is how we would approach the king. But, but here the Lord says, no, I want you to come, stand before me, and tell me what you need. The Lord commands us to pray. And so we have this fantastic boldness to go and stand and put our prayers before him, knowing that he'll receive our prayers. Ah! So the confidence that comes from the commandment, Luther does the same thing like with his fourth commandment. He says, look, here the, here the maid is sweeping the hall, and she knows that she's, her works are pleasing to God because she's obeying the fourth commandment. Just, just, just fantastic stuff. Uh, so that's going to be B, uh, large catechism. That is correct. So you have graduated from the level of synodical bureaucrat and have been elevated to the level of vicar. So congratulations. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Let's get whiplash from that huge move. Now, by the way, we're having a summer vicar coming over here to Hope this summer. Do you know about that? I do know about that. I was wondering uh, when he's... he's... Hopefully he'll be a takeover to be co-host for the summer. That, that would be nice. Um, when does he show up? I've been practicing my vicarage training posture, which has to do with putting my feet on top of my desk. <sighs> I thought you were. I thought you were going to say putting your feet on top of his back. <laughs> that's, that's not the. That's when I get a real vicar, a summer vicar. See, this is part of the trial run to see if they'll let me have a you know vicar. The congregation likes it, etc. So I got to take it a little easy on the guy, so I can get a real do loss in here. I I feel so sorry for whoever whoever has to do their vicarage at home. I do too, church. man. You know how you can tell if a guy has a bad childhood, you know it's going to be rough for him when he has kids. You know, it's just going to be tough. It's, a guy has a bad vicarage. Now, uh, my vicarage was a mixed was a was a mixed bag. It had some very high points and some low points too. But I'll tell you what, it's a 
I feel sorry for I feel sorry for my vicar. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. Vicar? I'm practicing that. Vicar! Vicar! <laughs> well, you even do that. We just have a little bell that you ring. Ding, 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 ding. Come in. Oh, a bell. I didn't want to have to use a voice. <laughs> All right. Ask me a question just quick say, so I can stop being a vicar and go, be whatever go, comes next. Go watch The King and I, and that's how you're supposed to treat me. <laughs> All right. Vicar, your question is, which of the following is not... An article found. In oh, the- you know what? My, I should answer these questions as the position that I as. <laughs> okay. So, you so want- I should have answered the previous question. Let's go back. Let me answer that as a synodical bureaucrat. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. That quote comes from Article Two of the Constitution of the Missouri Synod, <laughs> which is where the Book of Concord is listed as approved. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, uh, which now of, is a vicar. Uh-oh. Which of the following is not an article found in the formula of Concord? Is it A, right. justification, B, the Lord's Supper, C, Christ's descent to hell, or D, the righteousness of faith? Hey, nice question. Now, as i got to try to figure out how a vicar would answer this. One of these articles is not an article in the formula. Justification, Lord's... Lord's what was it? Lord's Supper? Yes. Christ's descent or the righteousness of faith. Um, as a vicar, I know one thing, and that is the importance of the doctrine of justification. <laughs> right? That's yeah. what I know. As a, do I know that as a vicar? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think Maybe you do. I don't know as that as a vicar. As a vicar, I know that. And so this question is totally confusing because I, I actually have I've taken as a vicar I've taken what I've taken dog one right so I've studied the Augsburg Confession but I haven't gotten to the end so I don't know if I've even studied the formula <laughs> as a vicar is that true that's true and it seems strange to me that Christ's descent into hell would be an article of the formula of Concord the righteousness of faith though sounds a lot like the do- like the doctrine of justification and so now I'm a little bit confused because. Why would you have one article about justification and one article about the righteousness of faith? And then I think, because I'm a savvy vicar, that you're actually trying to trick me. (laughs) That the very central article of doctrine, which should, you know, you would think would be an article in the, in the, in the, uh, what are we talking about? The formula of Concord would be in there. I think, I bet you the topic of justification is so, runs so much through every single article of the, of the formula of Concord, that it actually is not an article itself, but the glue that holds them all together. And I would then guess as a vicar, A, justification is not an article in the formula of Concord. Okay, now do you want to answer as Brian Wolfmuller? That, that, I also fair. answered the yeah. same. Oh, okay. Yes, A is correct. Uh, justi- <laughs> justification is not an article found in the formula of Concord. I'm not going to miss it on purpose just because I'm a vicar. <laughs> Is this true to life vicarage? No. This is just pretend. <laughs> Rather. Now what do I become? I'm so excited to become new things. All I right. Now what comes next? You are now, you have now graduated from vicar to monk. So congratulations. Monk. You are now a monk. So let's go to a commercial break, and then we'll continue this game. Who wants to be a theologian? Pastor Wolfmiller has graduated, uh, progressed in, in, in life from synodical bureaucrat to vicar, and then vicar to monk. We'll see if he can uh, keep progressing after this commercial break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio.
Talk Radio. So exciting, you won't notice. And we're back on Table Talk Radio. Hey there, uh, Monk Wolfmuller. How are you? <laughs> Uh, are you ready for your next question? I'm ready for my next question. <laughs> I wonder how he's going to answer as a monk. That would be interesting. I don't know how that, how that works. As a monk slash emergent church pastor. Same difference. <laughs> okay. Uh, question. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, okay, here's a question. Hey, by the way, I was watching the movie the other day. Uh, the movie called... What's a movie where the guy is a policeman committed... Is it committed? Courageous? Some movie. Some evangelical movie. Courageous, yeah. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. How to tell if you're being emotionally manipulated by the evangelical movie. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they, they signed this covenant, this father covenant. And I realized that at the same time that I was watching this movie, some guy was sending me something about some Lutheran prayer something or other. Some prayer, so it's, an, it's, an, it's an order, you know, an order, a brotherhood order. Like the old monks, they would have an order. You take a vow to do this sort of thing, and there's these Lutheran orders. And, and I realized that this, that what the evangelicals were doing with their movies and what these Lutherans were doing with their order of prayer was the same thing, that we all have this this kind of innate desire to make promises. Everyone but you probably has this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get so it? What's, yeah. In the Lutheran school of hilarity, I'll explain <laughs> how that was Wolfmuller. Quit, quit using the now, terms uh, Wolfmuller and Lutheran synonymously. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. The Wolfmuller school of hilarity. How come I messed that up? It's my own name, for heaven's sakes. How come I forget that that's my name? Uh, I don't know. But uh, So I want you to tell me the difference between... Um, you making fun of these evangelicals making a covenant for fatherhood, and um, the challenges of of youth ministry of of them desiring to to to, uh, to do the law. What's the difference? I don't remember. <laughs> remember what I you said going in the, somewhere with it in the first segment uh, that that uh, you know that, that the law doesn't it always accuses but it doesn't only accuse and so. Uh, part of yes. part of the the laws that we you know desire to do what the what the uh, what the Lord would would have us to do and then we repent in our failure to do so. So uh, I'm not ready to critique it. I just made I just barely made the connection. I'm just saying there seems to be an inconsistency there. Well, I've never been accused of that before. <laughs> now, <laughs> probably the problem with monastic vows is. Um, is that they are anti-vocational. There might be something, though, to these vocational... Like, for example, when you enter a new... And this is maybe what this courageous movie is actually getting at. When you enter into the new vocation of being a pastor, you stand there before God and his church, and you say, hey, I'm, taking this, I'm making this promise to do this as, a, now my, as I enter my new vocation as pastor. And when you get married... You stand there before God and his church and the whole world, and you say, now I'm making a promise here to do this. When you get confirmed, you do the same sort of thing. 
But where that actually lacks, where we don't have a chance to do that, is when you become a parent. You never sit there and say, I'm going to be this kind of father and make an oath before God and the world about what kind of things you're going to do for your children, which is a, which is a very, very interesting thing, don't you think? So I think they're I think they've picked up on something there and it might be a legitimate it might be a legitimate thing I just haven't quite put it together yet. Okay, good. Well, put it together and then then we'll ask you, you again. Got it. Okay, so as a monk, Article 16 on civil matters of the Augsburg Confession condemns primarily whom? Is it A, the papacy, B, the Anabaptists, C, Pelagians, or D, Calvinists? <laughs> um, let's see here. As a monk, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> so the options were A, Arces, uh, B, uh, enthusiasts, D, Calvinists, C, what? C, Pelagians, D, Calvinists. So the Pelagians, I got gotcha. you. Now, as a monk, I am a Pelagian <laughs> because I think that I can be so good. So good, so good that I can do extra good works that other people can get a little extra ahead from my good works. And the Anabaptists really, as a monk, I find a great deal of fellowship with the Anabaptists because (laughs) they too, just like I think I should remove myself from the world, those Anabaptists think the same thing. They say that Christians can't be soldiers. They say that Christians can't go to court or be judges. They say that Christians can't even own property or be involved in government. And I kind of like those Anabaptists over there because they say the same things that we monks do. Now, when the Lutherans come along and say that there's two kingdoms, you know, that we both live in the world and in the church and that we have vocations, we have Christian vocations and we have secular vocations, and it's okay to share in the same, when the Lutherans come and say that and condemn my particular monastic view, they were also going after my friends, the Anabaptists. So I'm going to say B. That is correct. So, uh, Sir Monk, you have just graduated to become a reformer. Whoa, man, that's quite a jump. Oh, yeah, that's how Luther did it. I forgot. Is it? Did I arrive? Am I finished? No, no, you can be excommunicated yet. Oh, 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 yes. I forgot. The highest honor. I totally forgot how we played this game. This has been a long time. Now, this thing is pretty important, by the way, these two kingdoms that we have, that we share these vocations so that, and, and, that, and that we act differently according to them. So as the vocation of Christian versus the vocation of father. So you say, if someone, if someone wants to kill you, you know, just come and kill you, do you do it? Well, it depends on your vocation. Are they killing you because you're a Christian? And it also depends on their vocation. If they are a government, you know, legitimate government, and they're coming to kill you because you're a Christian, then you let them kill you. That's that's what's called martyrdom. You let yourself suffer for the name of Christ. But if it's just some sort of chump who's breaking into your house to steal your potato chips, then you as a father have the vocation of protecting your um your uh your wife and your children and your chips. So, uh you know, these these different uh situations we act differently depending on on our vocation. Well, it's a good thing God God uh, set up the office of, of father to protect potato chips. I'm just really thankful for that. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even know that. 
dear listeners, see what benefit see, you my, get by listening to my potatoes are My potato chips are at risk right now. <laughs> are you out? No. Are you out and about? But there's no... Or are you just hungry? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Reformer, oh, are you ready for your final question? Yes. What, uh, which article of the Formula of Concord addresses the controversy about synergism? Would it be artic- A, Article 5, B, Article 3, C, Article 7, or D, Article 2? Okay. <laughs> synergism is the uh, – there's not much – this is just kind of a hint. Oh, but I'm a reformer now. I should know this. Basically, <laughs> I wrote this stuff. So, so the synergistic controversy was what part does our will play a part in conversion? It comes from a little bit of loose work by our friend Melanchthon because Luther came along and said, hey, the cause of conversion is twofold, God's word and the Holy Spirit. And Melanchthon comes along and he says, no, no, you know, there's a place for the will. Now, the question historically is did Melanchthon see the will as the object of conversion or as a as a cause of conversion? And this apparently can be disputed, although everyone takes sides. And if you want to start a fight amongst Lutheran theologians, just say, you know, I think Melanchthon was misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> It'll do the trick. Oh, yeah, and hours of fun will result from that. Just keep that in your pocket, dear listener. Look at all this help you for just for free. This is free. Now, this caused quite a bit of a controversy so that the, the, the Lutherans that came along later had to come along and say, no, no, look, conversion is the result of, uh, of God's word and the Holy Spirit, not man's will. Now, imagine how far we are now that God's word doesn't even have a part of conversion and that our will does. I mean, our evangelicals today, conversion comes from, from the Holy Spirit and your will working together, synergistically cooperating. Uh, but this is, of course, not true because your will is the thing that is converted. If you're now, this is this is the thing that I've never quite understood about this. If your will has a part of conversion, then what is it that is exactly uh, being converted? I mean, your will is the thing that has to change. So it's like trying to remember when I was a kid. I told you this: trying to pick my like lift myself up off the ground. I figured I could lift a hundred pounds. Why can't I lift myself? Yes, because I, I have, I I have never forgotten up. that. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. Mm. That was right. This is, what, this is what the, <laughs> the, the kind of Pelagian or semi-Pelagian idea that our will has something to do with conversion. It's like if you could lift yourself up and you could make yourself float. Just nuts. Anyhow, uh, so, so that was taken up in the formula. Now, you've given me the options, Article 5. See, I've got to see if I can remember the articles. Article 5. Well, I, me, I just assumed a reformer would be able to remember what he wrote. Yeah, yeah. Article 5 is law and gospel. Uh, no. Article 1 is, uh, oh man. Article (laughs) 1 is man. Article 2 is original sin. Article 3 is the righteousness of faith. Article 4 is law and gospel. Article 5, third use of the law. Article 6, good works. Article 7, the Lord's Supper. Article 8, the person of Christ. So, is that right? Did I get it right? No. <laughs> you're, you're sitting there. I'm the one asking questions here. <laughs> Don't you dare ask me questions. Who do you think you are? I think this is going to come up in uh, the synergistic controversy comes up in Article 2, Original Sin. Our will is dead when it comes to conversion. I don't, I don't even know if I should award you that. Um, That's D. D, final okay, answer. So D is the correct answer, but 
Article 2 is not on Original Sin. So what is it? Free will. Yeah, there you go. Free will. Article Article 1 is Original Sin. Sin. Article 2, free will. Correct. All right, you are successfully excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church, and we need to hit a break. We'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. Play Witch Ladder. Don't go away. Hi, this is Todd Wilkin, host of Issues Etc. Table Talk Radio is my favorite Lutheran radio game show. Good news. Table Talk Radio is almost over. <laughs> Hang in there for I am actually kind of excited about that. <laughs> All right. Which ladder is the game? Uh, there are three ladders here. Pastor Wolfman, do you want to tell us about the ladders? I thought you – aren't you working on these ladders? I'd like to hear what uh, your uh, updated version of the three ladders of moralism, mysticism, and rationalism. Uh, they're, they're still the same ladders. Nothing to be updated on them. <laughs> Uh, but uh, sure, I'll, I'll tell you about. It. So there, there are three ladders. Uh, the idea is that uh, um, all of spirituality, all of false religion, uh, is an attempt to climb these three ladders to God. Moralism being that we are good enough to reach God. Uh, that this is the ladder of the will. Um, that the things that we do can manipulate God uh, and, and can achieve some sort of a status before God. The other is uh, the ladder of uh, what did you say? Um, Mysticism. mysticism, which is the ladder of the, of the emotions. Uh, so this the is what, psyche. Yeah. So you're trying to reach a, a specific experience, and this experience is, um, uh, is is oftentimes the proof, you know. So so I I've had this experience, so I know that I am um, in the right uh, here, uh, and so this is uh, this, this is the way one connects with God. The whole mysticism that we address in the praise song cruncher is a, is the ladder of mysticism. And then finally, the ladder of rationalism is a ladder of the mind. Ah, rationalism. So this is um, uh, that uh, by your your rational thought, by your thinking, you have reasoned. Um, maybe you've even reasoned a, a, a explanation of why there is no God, and thereby have climbed the ladder of rationalism, <laughs> which is kind of ironic, you know. You know, the person mm-hmm. the person says there is no God, and so they're justified before their non-God. Um, Do you see that statement that there is no God is such a fantastic totality that it, it, it that statement itself approaches some sort of divine omnipotence to uh, make it? Yeah, so. that's right. Good good point. All right, so those are the ladders. Now, I have a question for you, Pastor Wolfmuller. Okay. Are you happy? Yes, sure. Oh, okay. I mean, well, I'll be happier in about ten minutes. But. <laughs> because... Uh, the three clips I have, and I don't think we'll get to all three, but uh, the, the clips I have for you today are all on happiness. That's my favorite thing, happiness. <laughs> so here's the first one. This is Michael Horton. On, or, excuse me. Let me say that again. Michael Norton. <laughs> Not Michael Horton. Michael Norton uh, on uh, a topic of can money buy happiness. 
So I want to talk today about money and happiness, which are two things that a lot of us spend a lot of our time uh, thinking about, either trying to earn them or trying to increase them. And a lot of us resonate with this phrase, so we see it in religions and self-help books, that money can't buy happiness. And I want to suggest today that, in fact, that's wrong. And that... <laughs> I'm at a business school, so that's what we do. So that that's wrong. And in fact, if you think that, you're actually just not spending it right so that instead of spending it the way you usually spend it maybe if you spent it differently that might work a little bit uh, better and, and before I tell you the ways that you can spend it that will make you happier let's think about the ways we usually spend it that don't in fact make us happier we had a little natural experiment so, so CNN a little while ago wrote this uh, interesting article on what happens to people when they win the lottery turns out people think when they win the lottery their lives are going to be amazing this article is about how their lives get ruined so what happens when people win the lottery is, number one, they spend all the money and go into debt. And number two, all of their friends and everyone they've ever met find them and bug them for money. And it ruins their social relationships, in fact. So they have more debt and worse friendships than they had before they won the lottery. What was interesting about the article was people started commenting on the article, readers of the thing. And instead of talking about how it had made them realize that money doesn't lead to happiness, everyone instantly started saying, you know what I would do if I won the lottery? And, and fantasizing about what they do. And here's a, just two of the ones that, that we saw that are just really interesting to think about. One person wrote in, when I win, I'm going to buy my own little mountain and have a little house on top. <laughs> and another person wrote, I would fill a big bathtub with money and get in the tub while smoking a big fat cigar and sipping a glass of champagne. This is even worse now. Then I'd have a picture taken and dozens of glossies made. Anyone begging for money or trying to extort from me would receive a copy of the picture and nothing else. <laughs> and so many of the comments were exactly of this type, where people got money, and in fact, it made them antisocial. So we, I told you that it ruins people's lives and that their friends bug them. It also, money often makes us feel very selfish and we do things only for ourselves. And we said, well, maybe the reason that money doesn't make us happy is that we're always spending it on the wrong things. And in particular, that we're always spending it on ourselves. And we thought, I wonder what would happen if we made people spend more of their money on other people. So instead of being antisocial with your money, what if you were a little bit more pro-social with your money? And we thought, let's make people do it and see what happens. So let's have some people do what they usually do and spend money on themselves, and let's make some people give money away and measure their happiness and see if, in fact, they get happier. So the first way that we did this on uh, one uh, Vancouver morning, we went out on the campus uh, at University of British Columbia, and we approached people and said, do you want to be in an experiment? And they said yes. We, gave, we asked them how happy they were, and then we gave them an envelope. And one of the envelopes had things in it that said, by 5 p.m. today, spend this money on yourself. So when we gave some examples of what you could spend it on. Other people in the morning got a slip of paper that said by 5 p.m. today, spend this money on somebody else. Also inside the envelope was money, and we manipulated how much money we gave them. So some people got this slip of paper and $5. Some people got this slip of paper and $20. We let them go about their day. They uh, did whatever they wanted to do. We found out that they did, in fact, spend it in the way that we asked them to. We called them up at night and asked them, what would you spend it on, and how happy do you feel now? What did they spend it on? Well, these are college undergrads, so a lot of what they spent it on for themselves was things like earrings and makeup. One woman said she bought a stuffed animal for her niece. Uh, people gave money to homeless people. Huge effect here of uh, Starbucks. So <laughs> if you give undergraduates $5, it looks like coffee to them, and they run over to Starbucks and spend it as fast as they can. But some people bought a coffee for themselves the way they usually would, but other people said that they bought a coffee for somebody else. So the very same purchase 
just targeted toward yourself or targeted toward some, somebody else. What did we find when we called them back at the end of the day? People who spent money on other people got happier. People who spent money on themselves, nothing happened. It didn't make them less happy. It just didn't do much for them. And the other thing we saw is that the amount of money doesn't matter that much. So people thought that $20 would be way better than $5. In fact, it doesn't matter how much money you spent. What really matters is that you spent it on somebody else rather than on yourself. Now, I know, Pastor Will Familiar, that you said you were happy, but, you know, if you want to be even more happy, you you could give me, you know, 20 bucks. <laughs> <clears throat> this was a, that was a long game to just to manipulate me into giving you something. <laughs> you know, this is, a, this is a phenomenally interesting thing. Did you find this on our TED Talks? Yeah, TED. The source for our Witch Ladder videos? Yeah. Because now we put the question, are you happy? As the diagnostic question for the ninth and tenth commandments, which say you shall not covet, right? So that happiness is the opposite of covetousness. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and here it's saying, look, if you actually have something and you, you are using what your seventh commandment stuff to serve your neighbor, your, it affects your ninth commandment. I think this, uh, I think he's tapped into something that's already there in the Ten Commandments. So the result is if you now, if you are using the, the gifts that you have in service to your neighbor rather than in service to yourself, if you are, have a, the degree of contentment about what you have and now you are using to serve others, the result is happiness. I think this is fantastic. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, so that is so interesting. Yeah. So what about a ladder, oh, though? Man. I don't know. This is all, I mean, it's law stuff. And it's so, it's, uh, you know, this is almost, get, would, that quote would fit a little bit better, like Ten Commandments in the TED video, because it's, a, <laughs> it's looking at the connection between the Seventh Commandment and the, and the Ninth Commandment. Contentment versus covetousness. Uh, possessions uh, for ourselves versus serving our neighbor. Uh, and the Lord intends for us to be uh, in the business of serving our neighbor. And, we, and that's exactly what we're built for, to serve our neighbor. And so when you when you're doing what you are built for, then the the result is a kind of is a is a greater degree of contentment. Now the danger, of course, is this: you say, "Oh, I can serve my neighbor," and the result is I'll be happier. <laughs> so then you use your selfish motives to be unselfish. I hmm. guess that's all right. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, if you wanted to put in a ladder, I guess I suspect it would be moralism. But see, um, although the, it doesn't quite have the ism part of moralism, this might just be morality. In fact, but but what got me about the 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 talk there is that um, the reason that you give money to to other people is so that you can be happy. So it still ends up being just kind of a selfish a selfish generosity. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, or you could give money because it's a generous thing to do for people who are in need. <laughs> I mean, right. Uh, yeah. You, I mean, you, we do realize that there, there, that there are oftentimes, uh, uh, good results from doing the right thing, but we still do the right thing because it's the right thing. And even if it would make me sad to be generous, then because I'm a, an inherently selfish and greedy person, I still, uh, am striving to live a life of generosity because that's what Jesus said to do. You know, when, uh, but the result is often that the result of good works is like so. The proverbs do this. They say, "Look, you you go to the uh, to the adulterous woman, and the result is not pleasure but destruction. You go to murder someone, and the result is that you lose your life." Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a there's kind of an intrinsic logic in the commandments that if you if you 
if you go and break the commandment which protects life, then now your life becomes unprotected. And if you go and break the sixth commandment, which protects uh, uh, marriage, then y- your own life will be damaged from it. So uh, there is some some wisdom, some deep wisdom in considering the connection between uh, the commandments and the good things that come from the commandments. Now, remember, Luther points this out in the large catechism again, that there's benefits to keeping the commandments. Now, the benefits are not the benefits of the forgiveness of sins, but there are benefits even to the unbeliever who keeps the Ten Commandments things will generally be a little bit better for those guys uh, than if you're breaking them all the time. Fine, but uh, again, uh, uh, to, to make that our motivation of keeping the commandments, boy, I, I want to keep the commandments because I will, I will be happier, I will be better in the end, um, is all, kind of already a, a sinful motivation for keeping the commandments. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you're right. I mean, all, what uh, what eventually has to be forgiven is everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, one thing. I that, mean, even our good works have to be have to be because they're, even our good works are stained by sin, so they have to be forgiven as well. So something that came up later in that video that I thought was interesting is he talked about how it doesn't matter the amount of money that person is giving that you know makes them feel happy about giving, just that they're giving. So whether it's three thousand dollars or thirty dollars, it has the same result, which I thought was interesting. So I'm afraid that's all the time we have, though. So thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Where the points are ex nihilo. (laughs) You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll-free, 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio. All right.